I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm so glad you decided to join us this week. I have to say the timing for this week's episode is absolutely epic. I am headed this weekend to Hilton Head, South Carolina to be on a panel as part of the STMS, the Society for Tennis Medicine Specialists, conference and that conference is open to all medical practitioners who work with tennis players and so I'm going to be surrounded by a bunch of physicians and this week's podcast guest happens to be an orthopedic surgeon. She hails from Toronto, Canada where not only does she practice medicine very successfully but she is also an extremely accomplished tennis player herself and is also a tennis parent. So we are getting the best of several worlds converging as we discuss some really important topics to the development of young tennis players. Specifically, we're going to be talking about injury prevention, we're going to be talking about growth spurts, and we're going to be talking about avoiding burnout and what coaches and parents can do in all of those areas to ensure a successful pathway for junior players. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. I have so loved getting to visit with Erin Boynton and getting to know her a little bit, and I'm hoping she's going to be a regular on the podcast. But for now, here is our first episode together. Enjoy. Tennisballs.com is your one-stop shop for all the latest tennis news, stories, and photos from around the world. Their talented writers share insights from the Pro Tour, the latest tennis technology, and behind-the-scenes looks at your favorite tennis tournaments and events. Check out Tennisballs.com. That's 10sballs.com. Dr. Erin Boynton, thank you so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. Well, uh, thanks, Lisa. I'm actually very excited to be here myself. Well, since that you're a first-timer with us, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to share with the Parenting Aces audience a little bit about your background in the sport of tennis. Sure. Um, I actually didn't take up tennis until uh, much later in life. I'm currently in my mid to late 50s, which uh, I hate to admit, Um but I did play tennis a little bit when I was a teenager, and I absolutely fell in love with the sport. And then um, took a long hiatus from it uh, while I was going to school and training. I'm, I'm currently an orthopedic surgeon. And um, took the sport up again in my late 30s, early 40s, mainly for fitness. But I just fell in love with it. And um, uh, my daughter also plays, so that's how I'm involved. So you're a tennis parent too, and talk a little bit about that. Um, you were sharing with me before we went on air about uh, your daughter's college tennis experiences. Yes. Uh, well, my daughter Hannah is um, a competitive tennis player, and I think one of the things as a parent, um, I was playing tennis. I was absolutely thrilled that um, she wanted to play as well because I thought it was something that we could do together uh, for a lifetime. And um, she worked really hard and ended up getting um, onto the Williams College tennis team. And um, they have a, an excellent reputation. Uh, Allison Swain was the coach at the time and um, loved the philosophy of their uh, team, which is really team first. And really, um, I watched my daughter uh, grow up a tremendous amount through her college years. And... Um, they won two national championships while she was playing on the on the team, and they came second and third in the other two years. So it was a very successful run, but um, I, not only winning the championships, I saw my daughter grow up tremendously as a, as a person and a human being, which was uh, very satisfying for me as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's great because everything that we're going to talk about today you can kind of give us your professional medical opinion, but you can also 
speak as a fellow tennis parent, which I think adds a very unique perspective to the whole conversation. Yes, um, and I, I didn't really mention that I'm a competitor myself. So not only can I speak to it as um, as a medical professional, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and I'm very interested in sports injuries. Um, I've worked extensively with professional teams, with the Blue Jays, the Maple Leafs, and with the WTA Tour. Um, I've worked, I've followed the, um, or been the medical director for the Rogers Cup here in Toronto for probably 16, 17 years now. And um, so I have a lot of professional experience in dealing with uh, tennis injuries. Then I also have personal experience uh, for myself and then watching my daughter go through various um, injuries through her development. Well, it is a, it's a great, unique perspective that you bring to the conversation. And, and I don't want to downplay the fact that you are a tennis competitor because I think it's, it's really important for the audience to understand what you mean when you say that. It's not just that you play league tennis one or two times a week. You are a hardcore tennis competitor. Can you kind of share with us um, the extent of your participation at that level? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I would definitely put myself in the hardcore category. I, um, I train five or six days a week. I do off-court training. Um, I train with a coach. I play with, um, I've played on the Canadian national team for several years. Um, I go and I compete in the um, national, USTA national tournaments, and I'm getting better. Um, I've managed to win a bronze ball in Houston on the clay courts last year. And my daughter and I actually won the mother-daughter clay court um, national championships just before she went off to college. So we're, I'm definitely a hardcore. Like I, I want to push myself to become the best tennis player that I can become. And uh, so I have an experience of dealing with overuse injuries from an older individual's perspective, uh, being in my fifties. But I also became very fascinated in how kids can run into the same problems that the adults do. Well, and, and it's become um, a huge it's become a huge issue in youth sports, right? We're seeing these injuries in, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-olds that used to not surface until you were 40. <laughs> I mean, it's craziness. Right. So, yeah, this you've just provided the perfect segue to kind of jump into this whole discussion of injuries and injury recovery. And I I would love for you to to share your thoughts on the best ways that we can help our children avoid being sidelined by injury. And then when they are sidelined, the best things that we can do to help get them safely back into training and competition. Sure. Um, I'd like to tell a little story, just some things that I noticed when uh, I was in my orthopedic practice. And um, I I would hear a couple of very common themes. Um, someone would come in, say, with a sore shoulder. They've been playing tennis, and it bothered them when they served. And um, the family doctor would tell them, you know, take some time off, and and uh, they would take time off and rest. And often their shoulder would feel better the first time that this happened. And then uh, they'd go back to their sport, but very quickly the pain would come back. So then the next step would be to go get some massage or maybe a cortisone injection. And again, they'd start feeling better and then they could maybe serve, but not full out. So instead of being able to serve at 50%, they could, or sorry, at a hundred percent, they could serve using like 50% of their force, but they were never quite normal. And uh, over years, you know, they might, they'd get an MRI and um, the pain was interfering with the quality of their life. And uh, they'd come and see me and, they would have some pathology on the MRI that maybe a, a partial tear of their tendon. And I'd examine them and I'd say, well, you know, you've got this pain, it's interfering with the quality of your life and uh, you've done everything non-surgically. So why don't we go in and we can remove this bone spur and, and kind of give that tendon a little more space. And, um, you know, at this point, the person had pretty well gone through everything and they'd say, sure, let's do the surgery. I've, you know, had, a, I've had enough. Well, I had a very long waiting list for surgery here in um, over two years. And, wow. you know, they look at me like, oh, my, what am I going to do for two years? Like, this is crazy. So I said, okay, look, 
what we're going to do is you're going to go and you're going to do some exercises. And we're going to try to restore range of motion and then balance. I notice specific patterns of imbalance around the shoulder. And what I mean by that is that the shoulder wouldn't move quite the same way um, compared to their other side. And so I would give them some stretches to try and restore balance. I would give them some exercises to gently work on the muscles surrounding the shoulder itself. And I said, you go home and you do this as your homework, and you're going to come back and see me in three months, and we're going to repeat the ultrasound of the MRI. And so long as your pathology isn't getting worse, you know, we'll check in and see how you're managing. And if you can't manage, we'll potentially do surgery. And if you are, well, we'll keep going. And I was shocked that probably 70 or 75% of my patients got better and didn't want the surgery. And so I started thinking, you know, what's going on here? You know, I've been trained as a surgeon that if you've got a tendon that's torn or you've got damage to the body, then, you know, we need to do surgery to fix it. Um, But I started to realize that we really needed to understand how that tendon got injured and how the body broke down in the first place. And if we could potentially reverse that, then the body could either repair itself um, or the body could repair itself potentially, or at least if you're not stressing the tissue in the same way, the pain would go away. So I started, I I was working with a lot of professional athletes and I started to look at their bodies and I could see that before they even complained of pain, that there would be abnormalities in their movement that were associated with specific activities. And a very common one would be um, the shoulder and serving. So what happens is that the shoulder is a ball and a saucer. And the ball is kept centered on the saucer by these muscle tendon units called the rotator cuff. And their job is basically to keep that ball centered on the saucer no matter where your arm is positioned in space. You throw the ball up in the air, you go to hit the ball with your serve, and with the follow-through, your arm, the racket, the arm are following the ball, and that the, the arm wants to follow the tennis ball across the, across the net. At first, what happens is the um, muscles in your back and around your shoulder blade will slow the arm down and they'll prevent the arm from flying off of your body. But eventually, over time, what can happen is these big muscles fatigue And then the little muscles, like the rotator cuff muscles, have to then stop the shoulder from separating in a way. And then when they get tired, there's another tissue that's that's like a a fascia, it's a fibrous tissue that holds the shoulder joint together. It's called a capsule. And then it actually is the last thing that sort of stops the ball pulling away from the saucer. And when you repetitively stress these tissues, what happens is they get thicker. And so then... um, you develop an imbalance. So if you imagine a ball bearing that's moving in a concentric way in, a, in its bearing and spinning without any kind of friction, if you push that ball bearing off center, you'll start to wear on the ball bearing. And this is exactly what happens in the shoulder, that when you get the tightness at the back of the shoulder, abnormal motion occurs within the joint, and this eventually leads to tearing of tendons and pain. And we can, see these, we can see these changes in the body long before the person may actually have pain. So I think that the first bit of advice that I would give to all parents and all tennis players is do some stretching to prevent that tightness at the back of your shoulder from occurring so that you never run into the issue of injuring the tendon. Great advice. Are there specific stretches that you recommend? There are. There's actually a whole sort of series of stretches um, that I'm actually putting together a master class uh, on the shoulder, which is not out yet, but there's a number of stretches. If you go to my uh, Facebook page or to the Women's Tennis Coaching Association, um, we're putting on a whole uh, series of how to release the muscles uh, in your body using a trigger point ball or a foam roller. Um, because one, one of the things is that you have to do this very regularly. So a lot, yeah, a lot of, I, I don't know about you, but it's expensive enough for paying for your kids for their lessons and their court time, but then to have to have a full-time massage therapist 
um, it'd be kind of crazy and we're not all Roger Federer. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, really, this is the kind of thing that needs attention on a daily basis because I know that if someone is going to go out and do 100 serves every day for you know six months, they will develop this imbalance. They may not have pain after six months um, because there's another a number of other factors that can come into play. Um, but if we just focus on that sort of tightness at the back of the shoulder, um, I, I know that eventually the tightness will develop and, and there's a threshold that is crossed where you lose, the, the person loses the ability to compensate and almost to cheat. It's something about our body. We, if we know that we have to get our arm up into a position to hit that ball and get it over into the service box, our body will figure out a way to do it. And if certain muscles have shut off uh, and tissues have, because certain tissues have gotten too tight, then we figure out another way to do it. And that's, that, that then starts um, asking our body to do things it's not supposed to do. So say a muscle that's supposed to be stabilizing is now doing the movement instead of just stabilizing. And all sorts of problems start to snowball. So I believe that we all should be doing a routine, and I try to do this myself. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to do the routine because it's um, we're, we have busy lives. But to spend 15 minutes before you go out on the court where you can do um, these releases with the trigger point from, from roller or ball um, really helps to go a long way because you, the concept really here is to balance the body, balance the tissues, and then go out and play tennis and create an imbalance, have fun, and then rebalance your body again so that you don't let this imbalance accumulate over time. Well, I, I mean, it sounds amazing. I Let me just say to my listeners, I'll have the link to Erin's Facebook page and, and her website in the show notes, so be sure and check those out, and you'll be able to find these exercises that she's talking about. But Erin, let me just ask you this, because I in, in a prior life, I was a fitness, fitness instructor for many, many, many years, and there was always kind of this debate in the fitness industry about stretching and, you know, is it better to stretch before you exercise? Is it better to stretch after you exercise? What type of stretching should you do for how long? And, you know, how long should you hold each stretch and all of that? So so let's get specific with with what you're talking about, your, your progression um, for the shoulder. You're saying 15 minutes before you play. How important is it to then stretch again after you're done practicing or playing a match? I, I do think that the stretching is important after. And, and let me just say, I think this is a great question, and it's a really interesting topic. Um, the reason, um, in case some of the listeners aren't aware, um, that people worry about just doing a static stretch, which is basically you standing and holding a stretch for more than 30 seconds to try and, say, lengthen your hamstring. Um, the reason that, that we worry about it is that um, some studies have shown that the muscle may not be as responsive after you've done that kind of a stretch. And um, so I've developed sort of a system that I call the three R's. You need to relax the tissues, uh, relax the mind. We can talk about that another time. Rebalance the tissues, but then you also have to reactivate the muscles. So with each release using a foam roller or the, the ball, there's going to be an exercise to activate the proper muscle so that when you go out, you're using the right muscles. Um, probably one of the easiest examples uh, people will be more familiar with is um, the butt muscles, the gluteus maximus. Anybody who sits is prone to having these muscles shut off. And so what happens is when the glutes shut off, the hamstrings have to do extra work. And then the hamstrings always stay tight. So no matter how much you stretch them, if you don't activate the glutes, the hamstrings will always be tight. And the reason the glutes shut off is that when you're sitting and your hips are bent at 90 degrees, um, the hip flexors, the muscles at the front, get very short and tight. 
And our body has um, an, sort of an unconscious neural mechanism that when one muscle is on, the muscle on the other side of the body has to be turned off or else you'd never move. You know, if you want to bring your hand up to your mouth, if, you, if your biceps is contracting and your triceps are both contracting, you can't move your hand. So normally right. when you try to bring your hand to your mouth, your biceps contracts and the signal goes for your triceps to relax. So when you're sitting, the, the hip flexor is at the front of your body. It gets tight and short. So when it's on, it turns your glute off. And then if you go and you run around the test court and your glutes aren't turned on properly, then because your body need, knows it needs to run, it'll use the hamstrings. And I don't know how many parents out there or parents themselves have had trouble with flexibility of their hamstrings. And no matter how much you try to stretch it, it never gets better. And the reason is, is that you're using the wrong motor pattern. So stretching can be important, but you have to then start using the right muscles. And so I believe in um, really more of a dynamic warm-up. The, these, some of these releases are static, and they're one component of a whole warm-up that I think everybody should be doing. But it, so it would be releasing air, trouble areas, with um, the foam roller and the ball, then more more dynamic kind of warm up and specific activation of muscles, so that you go out on the court, your body's prepared. Um, I listened to one of your podcasts with Frank um, on the brain um, brain wiring and mm-hmm. how the point I thought was really interesting. You've got to prepare your brain to be ready to compete, and this kind of a warm up is preparing your body to be ready to move. You want to make sure it's balanced. You want to make sure you're using the right muscles so that you can go out there and perform at your best. Um, and, and it's fascinating because, you know, I've, I've, I've started to uh, want to teach people about this concept because um, I see so many injuries that could be prevented, so many surgeries that could be prevented, that people could keep moving uh, without pain and actually perform better, but it doesn't seem to kind of resonate with people. Um, I think they kind of the the, and I'm not quite sure why. I don't know whether it's people need to have the pain or they need to have the injury before they think that they need to work on something. And um, well, that's what I was just getting ready to say. I think for you know until you've experienced injury or or severe pain that keeps you from doing the activity that you want to do you don't understand the value of preparing the body and and helping the body to recover properly after exercise, right? I mean, it's it's two pieces here. You have to do the work before, but you also have to do the recovery work. You do. And I and I think that the it's kind of like um I have a performance pyramid and the foundation of that pyramid, you can imagine, you know, your triangle or your pyramid. Mm-hmm. The foundation of that pyramid is uh, joints that move, go through their full range of motion, that the soft tissues and the ligaments are balanced, and that you're using the right muscles in order to move. Then the next stage would be to build endurance in the motor patterns and endurance in the muscles. Then you build strength, then you build power, then you build speed. But what happens so often is that the foundation gets corrupt because you're going and you're, say, doing a million serves. You're really wanting to practice your serve because it's so important in tennis uh, that you get this imbalance around the shoulder and then you start using the wrong muscles. And now all of a sudden foundation, your, your, your foundation is off and your performance pyramid then really is kind of flipped upside down where you're on the tip of the pyramid doing activities that require power and speed and strength, but you don't have the proper foundation. And that's when the pyramid will fall over and eventually you get the injury. So there's, there's one is the injury prevention, but also there's a performance aspect to it for people that are really wanting that 1% or 2% difference, which I think when you get into the top levels of competition, it's one point here and there. Um, using the correct motor patterns, uh, using the correct muscles, you uh, as an individual are going to perform better than if you weren't. So Mm -hmm. I really think that what what we should be doing is having coaches and parents 
doing these warm-ups with the kids. And I've noticed that actually um, in, in some of the higher performance um, tennis academies that they're doing, they're doing a much better job these days of a warm-up, much more dynamic kind of warm-up. But I don't know if the awareness of um, these specific patterns of uh, the problem patterns are out there with the coaches, and that's what I'd like to help uh, to teach them. Um, and the same thing with the parents. Uh, you know, it's hard to get a, a an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old or ten-year-old kid to lay down and do foam rolling. It, it can be painful. It's not fun at times, especially when you don't understand what the benefit is. Right. Because they haven't had the injury. So, well, and also um, what I what I've seen, and I'm sure you see this too, is you know you'll you'll see a coach leading a group of kids through what on paper looks like a great warm up. But the coach is absently, you know, absentmindedly just, you know, throwing out cues to them without really paying attention to what they're doing. And the kids, a lot of them tend to just go through the motions without mm-hmm. understanding, like you said, what they're supposed to be gaining from this. And they think that, you know, just by, you know, doing lunges and swinging their arms, for example, um, you know, just freely is going to give them the same benefit as mindfully doing the lunge, contracting the glute, you know, stabilizing with the abdominals, um, you know, mm-hmm. using the shoulder to to move the arm. I mean, so, you know, it's great that we're seeing these warm-ups happening, but if they're not done mindfully, they're, they're almost useless and, and maybe even harmful i i dare say maybe harmful yeah. i don't know well i think that the way that the you could sort of say it's harmful and i i don't i use that very loosely but it's that they're promoting the wrong pattern of muscle being used mm-hmm. and i would far rather see one correct like one lunge done correctly than 10 done incorrectly because really what you're trying to do is establish the foundation for lifetime I think that one of the reasons we're seeing so many more injuries in kids um, these days is the specificity. The kids are doing the same motion over and over and over. They don't have the same variety that they used to. When I was growing up, I was playing basketball, volleyball, skiing, tennis, soccer. You know, I, I did swimming. And so an imbalance that I might develop in one sport might be corrected by playing another. And so I think coaches and parents bringing a bit of variety into their child's exercise routine, which is, it's not just running around and playing. Yes, it's got to be play and it's got to be fun, but you're actually teaching them a skill, a movement skill that will then be helpful for their tennis playing. So absolutely. um, Absolutely. And 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 I mean, just even the fact that kids aren't running around on playgrounds doing monkey bars and, you know, playing tag and those types of things. Um, Yeah. So I, I mean, I think we've, we all understand that this is a problem in our society now, but I don't think any of us has quite figured out how to alleviate it. And, you know, I think it's great that we're talking about these, you know, dynamic stretches, dynamic warmups and, and exercises to get the body ready and to teach the muscles to fire properly and all of that. But even that isn't the same as cross training. And I'm using that term loosely. And, and the way I mean it is free play, you know, kids just being left Mm -hmm. to their own Mm -hmm. devices to kick balls and throw balls and run around. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's very frustrating because I feel like I, we've been having this conversation for decades now. And mm-hmm. now we, we kind of understand what we need to do to to kind of help prevent the injuries. But that's mm-hmm. not really the underlying issue, is it? As far as... Um... Sorry, I'm not quite sure I understand the question. What What is well, the, under, think, the underlying think, issue? Yeah, I mean, to me, the underlying issue is is this specificity, as you said, you know, the early yes. specialization, the yes. lack of opportunity for free play. Yes, I agree. And so I don't know why that just isn't incorporated into 
academies and training with coaches. When you've got groups of kids, have them go play basketball, have them go and, you know, do a different sport because there's so many other qualities that can be developed, particularly in a sport like tennis, that's an individual sport, bring in the team aspect. Um, you know, we've been uh, looking at a lot of this stuff with um, young girls in particular. I, I um, have been working as the medical director with the WTCA and the main mission there is to keep more girls in sport. You know, girls quitting, 70% of girls have quit by the time that they're 12 or 13. And, and we want to keep it fun. We want to keep the variety. Um, and I think that it's going to come up to the parents working with the coaches to try and bring in these, dif- these different concepts that it doesn't have to be about hitting 400,000 tennis balls every day, that you can bring other types of sports into their training that is fun and will have a huge benefit for their overall body health, their, the balance of their body, and um, enjoyment in life. And one thing that I was really, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what the soccer people have done um, with this FIFA 11 plus warm-up. No. Uh-uh. It's, they, they, so they were noticing a huge incidence of knee injuries in young girls. One in 10 were tearing their ACL in soccer. And that's crazy. Wow. And so what yeah. they did is they started a very specific warm-up program for um, girls, it ended up young girls and boys were doing this, and they noticed a 50% decrease in these acute ACL injuries and a 30% decrease in overuse injuries. And I, I would say that we need to um, start doing a better job in tennis of coming up with a, a dynamic warm-up, cool-down program with principals, and help um, coaches and parents to understand the concept of periodization. So you have a schedule that you're going to be setting forth for your child for the important tournaments, and you're going to have your time when you'll be working on um, really building balance and strength in, in, their, in their system. Then they're going to be in a competitive season where they're going to maintain. Then they need a rest. And then, um, you know, you can go back into the strength building. But during that rest period uh, and during the strength period, I believe that you can have a lot of fun with other activities that can be brought in that will train the kids in a way that they can still develop what they need in order to be great tennis players, um, have some fun, have a bit of a break from the tennis scene, and um, hopefully be able to stay in tennis you know, for a lifetime. Right. And the rest period, I mean, as you're describing it, isn't just physical rest. It's also mental rest. I mean, if they're taking time away from tennis, you know, that's time for them to get their head kind of back in the right place, um, you know, get away from worrying about winning and losing. And and like you said, go try something else and have some fun. And I mean, that's that's huge with with burnout issue. Right. It is, and, it, and, it, and I think it's um, also teaching the kids uh, that it's about the process, that it's enjoyment. And, and for girls in particular, I think teaching them what competition is all about is it's learning together. It's pushing each other. And the, the better I am, the better you become, the better you become, the better I become. And we can have fun doing this together and building a camaraderie and a uh, um, a team type of attitude so that there's not the same kind of um, challenges. Like I used to die watching my daughter sometime playing kind of thing. I, I found it much harder as a parent on the sideline uh, watching what would go on in the court um, uh, than I do competing myself. Sure, because it's out of your control when it's freaking out there. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'd much rather be out there playing myself. Yeah, it's tough. It is tough. Well, let's let's switch gears a little bit. I um one of the things that you and I kind of email back and forth about was handling training during a growth spurt, and I think that's yes. one of those issues that doesn't get discussed 
all that much, at least um, I know in, in the Parenting Aces Forum, we haven't touched on that very often. And I would love to have you share some words of wisdom and advice uh, to the parents and, and to the coaches that are tuning in about what to do when a child is going through a growth spurt. Yeah, this is a, I think this is a, a very vulnerable time for uh, kids to become injured. Um, what we tend to see naturally uh, when kids are going through a growth spurt is that the bone grows in length first, then the muscles and the soft tissue have to kind of catch up. So there's often a significant lack of or loss of flexibility. And because of the new length of the arms and legs, so their levers are longer, they have to catch up with their core strength. So their kids are vulnerable to injury because of um, the loss, loss of flexibility, which is going to lead to imbalances in their joints and the weakness in their core, which we all know core strength is so important in tennis. So my advice is that when you notice that a child is going through their growth spurt, um, you need to modify their training. You need to um, really focus on quality, not necessarily quantity. Uh, they need to spend extra time before and after to work on making sure that their core is getting strong, that their glutes are firing, that another muscle that's really important around the shoulder blade is the serratus anterior muscle, that all of these muscles are engaged and working properly. Um, I also think that it's really important for kids going through their growth spurt is that they get more rest. Um, their, their, their bodies are really busy working on getting taller and, and um that's sort of where all of the energy is going. And so um, they need more food. They need more rest. They, they, uh, but they can still be focusing and um, uh, focusing on their sport. And it depends a bit on their child. I think every, everyone's an individual. Some kids, some girls go through their growth spurt when they're nine. Some are going through it when they're, I was 15. So there's going to be a very different level of maturity. And um, I think, uh, possible commitment of that child to their sport, but say they want to be playing four hours a day and um, they're growing like a weed. I would really bring in visualization at that point because the brain doesn't know whether you're actually doing it or not. So they can, instead of being on the court, they can take some time and relax and visualize themselves doing the training drills. So um, I guess in summary, it would be more rest time better uh, or a, a very focused um, training on court that would be quality over quantity, um, making sure that they're doing a very good warm up and warm down and um, getting enough sleep and uh, food. Great, great. And I think it's important for parents to keep that line of communication open with the coach because sometimes either the parent doesn't notice that the child's going through the growth spurt or the coach doesn't notice it. You know, all of a sudden the kid can't, can't hit a ball in the court. You know, they're, they're mm -hmm. woofing balls because they don't know where their body is in space anymore. They're, you know, um, mm -hmm. especially yeah, if it's a major growth spurt. And, you know, so keeping that line of communication open, I think is very, very important. I would agree with you there as well. And also it's like, I remember I, I was like five, three when I was like the summer before grade 10. And then going into grade 10, at the end of grade 10, I was almost six feet. I couldn't walk oh down a hill without almost like killing myself. Like you know, I was crazy. And, and I was a very good basketball player and, but I couldn't, I couldn't really play. And, and it was very hard for my self-esteem because I didn't understand why I wasn't able to do the things that I naturally could do so easily. I was kind of clumsy feeling and, and if someone had been able to say to me, Hey, you know what? You're growing like a weed. Don't worry about it. You know, like it's all going to come together. Just, you know, take your time. Let's focus on these parts so that when you're finished your growth, you're going to be healthy and you're going to be an even better basketball player or better athlete. And, and it, it does take some time to um, to notice it because you, it kind of catches up with you. I, I remember I had this one patient, um, great girl who came in with a sore shoulder. And so I'm six feet. She was 5'10 at 13. 
I, I sent her off to do some exercises. And the next time I saw her, she, she, um, was almost the same height as me. And I was wow. expecting her to kind of slow down in her growth, but her, I think her dad is six, five. So she, she grew for a year. And that whole time that she was trying to battle with the shoulder injury, um, she would just be getting where she, maybe her strength would be catching up with her new length and then she'd get longer. So you have to be incredibly patient during the growth spurt when you're dealing with um, issues that are um, requiring building strength. Yeah, that's huge. Well, so, I mean, I think we all understand that most junior players are going to have to contend with an injury at some point. Hopefully it's something minor, but for some of these kids, I know mine, you know, had injury after injury after injury. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on how do we get these kids back to their sports safely following an injury? I mean, we've talked about the importance of of the warm-up and the cool-down. We've talked about the importance of muscle balance and understanding firing patterns in the body. But once once the pain goes away, is that a signal to just go back 100% at what you were doing before? Or is there another way to approach that? Well, I think that you have to be really careful, particularly if the kids are going through the growth spurt. Um, what happens is, say you've just established the foundation of your performance pyramid that we were talking about earlier. Generally, at that point, the pain has gone away. You're feeling pretty good, but you're not really strong. So you jump from zero to 100, and you try to go out there and push yourself too hard too fast. And I think this is one of the really challenging things in tennis, in a sport like tennis, where there's tournament after tournament after tournament. You've got these goals. You think, oh, my God, I've got to be better. I've got to get ready. You're barely just feeling good. And then you're back out and you're putting yourself into a competitive situation and your body is just not ready. You're not strong enough. And you haven't allowed the body to heal and build um, the power, speed, and the strength component of your performance pyramid. So you end up falling back into the old patterns uh, or you, de- you, know, you develop another injury. Um, I look at the body as a kinetic chain and a, and a tensegrity system. So that basically, if you start at the toes, the toes are supposed to move. The midfoot is stable. The ankle moves. The knee is stable. The hip moves. The core is stable and so on. So let's say you sprain your ankle and your ankle gets stiff, and all of a sudden that joint that's supposed to be moving isn't moving as well, but you've got a tournament to go back to. Eh, You don't have pain anymore, but the movement isn't quite as good as it used to be. Then you go out and you push yourself, and all of a sudden the knee hurts because the ankle isn't moving the way it should be, so now it's putting extra stress on the knee. And so this is the kind of thing that I would see over and over and over again where people just push themselves too hard, too fast, and then then if you'd actually just taken the time up front and said, okay, I've got this ankle sprain. It takes six weeks for the soft tissue to heal. It's going to take me another six weeks to strengthen. And then I'm going to really start to build at that point back into my competitive um, programming. Mm-hmm. Instead, we say, uh, oh, I'm feeling good at a month. The swelling isn't there. Um, maybe I don't feel that strong, but I'm going to wrap it up. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to start playing. Because it's or you know, or that that huge tournament is falling right yep. in the middle of this process, and God forbid you should miss a tournament, right? Right. And so, and but I also think it's very important that you make your choice because if it's the Olympics, of course you're going to go and you're going to play. You're going to, you know, this is something, you know, or if it's Wimbledon, it's a Grand Slam. If it or at the most Orange Bowl, you know, the most important tournament that you've been working towards. You're going to take chances, but if you're, if it's sort of like, there's so many tournaments and I I think this is where careful planning comes in and you may go play in the tournament, but you're really going to focus on that tournament as learning a very specific skill. And that's, I think hard for kids. It's hard for adults to do, hard for anybody to do, but 
say yeah. you've been working on a certain pattern in in your you're going to serve out wide and then you're going to hit into the open court. So you say, okay, this tournament is coming up and it's not going to be the tournament that I'm necessarily going to win, but I'm going to go put myself in that situation to keep my match toughness. Um, I'm going to work on a very specific thing, um, get a match, get a couple of matches, um, and, but not push myself to the nth degree in a way that I'm going to get hurt again. Make sense? So that you have a use of oh, the yeah. tournament but you're not, um, you're not overdoing it. it and I would it, suggest it, it, that would be, that would be a tournament that you're not going to spend a thousand dollars traveling to. Yes, unless, absolutely. Unless you have a thousand dollars to burn, but that's a whole other issue. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, yes. Yes, for sure. So, you know, I, I, I guess uh, something that I hear coming out of our conversation and our discussion really is planning, sitting down with the coach, the parent, the trainer, whoever's working, you know, together, um, and the doctor, uh, and making a uh, making a plan of this is what I expect, and and so you've got say um, maybe a, a, a two or three month plan depending on what the injury is, but you have to do a reevaluation at four weeks. Maybe things are going to be faster at four weeks because they've healed quickly. The you know, swelling has settled down. Their range of motion has come back faster than you expected. They can progress their exercises faster than if you just stick to the, you know, the, the, the sheet of exercises that is out there in the book. So maybe you make a plan based on what you see on day one. And, and it might be three months down the road where you're going to be ready to go in a, a tournament, which would be, Heaven forbid, that's a long time, but let's say it was a bad injury. And then you're going to reevaluate, though, at four weeks, out of eight weeks, so that you can progress things as quickly as possible. Um, and, and I, think and I also would put out the, that – oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that I think progression is a really important thing, that when I, I'll see people, they'll take six weeks off because they've had a sore shoulder, and then they go out to do a serve and they wind up and they whack it as hard as they can. That what I teach my um, patients to do is to go stand at the service line, choke up on the grip, and just sort of start going through the motion so that not only it's, you may have gotten your strength, but now you need the coordination of everything working together and you really focus on rhythm. Then once that feels really good and there's no pain, then you're going to move to three-quarter court and you're going to do the same thing and, and then move to the baseline and get your racket in the right grip and go at like 50%, but it's all rhythm and timing. And if that feels good with you do 10 serves, you know, and that feels really good, then the next day you do 15 serves. And if it doesn't feel good, then you take the next day off from serving and you go back to where you were before at the, you go from the baseline back to three quarter court so that you can still be doing the motion, but you're not overstressing the body and, and going backwards. And what I was going to say, and, and it fits in exactly in line with what you just said, Aaron, is, you know, injury recovery and getting back to the court is an opportunity for a coach to get super creative and yeah. come up with things like what you just proposed, you know, that, you know, your first day back, you're just going to stand at the service line and, you know, you're just going to practice the swing or practice the toss and coordinating or, you know, focus on your legs or whatever it is. And during yeah. the injury, injury recovery period, before you're even back out there ready to serve, there's certainly other things that you can be doing to keep your the rest of your body functioning properly. So oh, just sure. because your shoulders hurt doesn't mean you can't maybe do some cardio work or, you know, do some strengthening for your core, or your glutes or whatever it is. And again, I think this is where coaches can have the opportunity to, to get really creative. For sure. They can, um, you know, it might be that you put a baseball glove in their in the person's hand. Maybe they can't lift their arm over their head, you know, but once they get to a certain point, they're not supposed to swing it violently, but you could 
have them moving and you can put it in their opposite arm just for the fun of it. Say they're right-handed, put the glove in their left hand. And I guess that's what you do anyways, if you're going to throw, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you can, <laughs> but <laughs> you can be doing footwork for volleys. You can be doing footwork for your forehands and your backhands. Um, and I really love that kind of stuff. I think that's really important because it makes it fun. And I think it also takes a lot of the rehab issue. Like I'm recovering from an injury. no, Instead of looking at it like, oh, I'm injured and I'm having to do these darn exercises, it can be more, hey, let's go out in the court and have fun today. We're going to run around and we're going to learn this skill so that I'm going to be an even better tennis player when I get over this. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that's everything you've said today makes so much sense. And, you know, as a parent, we oftentimes have to be advocates for our children's health. and. So I think it's really important for us to have these kinds of conversations on the Parenting Aces podcast so parents understand what types of things to look out for. And, you know, they hear from somebody like you who is an experienced surgeon and physician, but also a tennis player and maybe more importantly, a tennis parent. And, you know, you offer a perspective here that is rather unique. And, and so I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us and, and sharing your stories and, and sharing your advice with all of us. Well, it's been really fun. Lisa, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we've got some other topics to, to hit on in, in the future. So I hope you'll come back and we can talk about some oh, other sure. aspects of, of tennis training and staying healthy and keeping our kids enjoying the sport for a lifetime. So thank you. And, and you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. To my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.